Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault presented by Blinzall. If you're in the market for some high-quality racing oil for your two-stroker four, make sure you go to blinzall.com and use our discount code VAULT20 to save 20% at checkout. Thank you for all the support. Hey, I'm Steve Mathis. Welcome to Tony Blazer's Motocross Vault. Hello and welcome back to the Motocross Vault. My name is Tony Blazer, and what this video is going to cover is a look back at a really unique machine, uh, the 2004 Kawasaki KX250F and Suzuki RMZ250. Now this machine is very interesting for several reasons. This is the first 250F put out by these two manufacturers, and it was a jointly designed machine. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, Yamaha had come out with the YZ250F, and it really had shocked the entire industry. I remember when it first came out, I was completely blown away by this machine. I was like, oh my god. Today, of course, 254 strokes are as powerful as a 252 stroke darn near. It's amazing. But at the time, in the late 90s, most people thought of it like an XR250 if you talked about a 254 stroke. They weren't certainly high horsepower racing machines. And the thought of a competitive 254 stroke was kind of just off the table. Nobody really considered it until Yamaha came out with this and really proved that you could do it. Unfortunately, the machine probably had too much of a displacement advantage. If it had been like a 200 or something, it probably would have been a more fair fight with the 125s. But giving it a double displacement advantage was turned out to be like the death knell for the 125s, unfortunately. But that's a story for another video. Uh, this one's just going to cover what happened with Suzuki and Kawasaki, where they decided that they were kind of behind the eight ball there. Um, they did not have a machine ready to go, and they decided they were going to pull the resources and try and team up together to develop this new machine. And in the early 2000s, you could see why. You know, Yamaha already had a bike out. They certainly had ne not nearly the resources of a Honda who was working on their own CRF 250, which would also come out in 2004. And Kawasaki came out with this new 250F with Suzuki's help designing the motor. The machine turned out to be, you know, actually a decent performer. A lot of people think now that this bike was a total piece of crap because of, you know, they had some serious reliability issues. But in terms of performance, it actually wasn't bad. It just ran very differently. It was a, almost ran like a mini 450. It had more torque than the Yamaha. The Yamaha, if you ever ridden one of the first ones, particularly, it's a rev rocket. You just got to run it like a 125. It doesn't, it has certainly more torque than a 125, but it's not a, you know, like ultra torquey machine. It really wants to be screamed. And uh, this first KXF uh, RMZ really was much more of a torquer. Uh, had just had a different feel. And it's certainly, if you were used to an RM, uh, jumping on this first RMZ was going to be very different because the chassis, everything about the bike except the motor was really a Kawasaki. So even though it was yellow plastic, almost none of the parts were interchangeable between the machines. Uh, just a very interesting and unique machine and uh, from a unique time in motocross for sure. Now, if you like this story uh, and you want to see some other things, I definitely have other um, bike reviews on the channel from everything from ATVs to off-road machines to motocross stuff. So uh, if you have a second and you like this sort of content, make sure you check out some of the videos on the channel. If you like to support what I do, I have Motocross Vault merch available. I have all kinds of designs from, uh, again, ATVs, motorcycles, truck and motorcycle combos. I have a little bit of everything in the store, uh, from posters to t-shirts to sweatshirts, a little bit of everything there. Hopefully, if uh, you can find something you like, and if you'd like to check it out, I will put a link in the description and also a card here in the video. Uh, so here, without further ado, is the story of the 2004 Suzuki RMZ250 and KX250F. The arrival of the 2000s was a time of major transition in motocross. In 1998, Yamaha had shocked the motocross community with its first four-stroke motocrosser, the revolutionary YZ400F. Then, three years later, they had done it again with the introduction of the industry's first competitive 254-stroke, the YZ250F. While there had been many competitive big-bore four-strokes over the years, from manufacturers like BSA, Husqvarna, ATK, and Husaberg, no one had been able to crack the code for a competitive small-bore thumper. 
Modified XRs and KLXs were fun, but they were no match for a 125 two-stroke on a motocross circuit. With the introduction of the 2001 Yamaha YZ250F, that paradigm changed and reshaped people's expectations of what a valve and cam 250 could do. It was fast, had excellent handling, and was super fun to ride. In terms of peak horsepower, it was not more potent than the best 125s of the day, but on the track, its super wide torque curve gave it an advantage that was hard to beat. While the original YZ250F was an undeniably incredible achievement, it was not without its problems. It was 30 pounds heavier than the lightest 125s at the time, and was prone to bogging at inopportune moments. It could also be an absolute bear to start at times. Even under the best conditions, its complicated starting ritual was a major pain, but once you threw in a hot motor and a panicked rider, it became nearly impossible to get the high-revving Yamaha going again. Even though the original YZ250F was far from perfect, it was more than enough to signal a major shift in American racing. The YZ400F had been a hit in the market, but the 250 two-strokes had proven to be more than capable of fighting it off on the track. Aside from Doug Henry's heartwarming 1998 250 national title, the 400F had remained more of an outlier than an actual game-changer in professional racing. With the YZ250F, however, things were very different. Unlike the tank-like YZ400F, the 250F was light enough to be thrown around like a traditional two-stroke. Also, its problems with bogging and hiccups were not as pronounced as those on the bigger Yamaha thumpers. Maybe most significantly, its torque advantage over a 125 two-stroke was far more pronounced than it was in the larger machines. On a supercross track, a 250F could execute jumps that were just not imaginable on a 125 two-stroke. For better or worse, there was just no ignoring the impact the YZ250F had on the sport moving forward. As all of this drama played out in the halls of the AMA and on the tracks of America, three of the big four Japanese manufacturers were left scrambling to catch up. The one-two punch of the YZ400F and YZ250F had caught Honda, Kawasaki, and Suzuki completely by surprise. By 2003, none of them had a 250F competitor, and only Honda had anything ready to do battle with the third generation of Yamaha's big bore thumper. Faced with Yamaha's huge head start in technology and the enormous resources of Honda Motor Corporation, Kawasaki and Suzuki looked to each other in 2001 and decided the best way to compete might be to actually join forces. Announced in August of 2001, the Kawasaki-Suzuki Strategic Alliance would allow both brands to fill out their portfolios with products from the other manufacturer and reduce development costs by pooling resources to design and develop new products. The first of these products would be a jointly designed competitor to Yamaha's YZ250F. With the new project, it was decided that Suzuki would handle designing the motor, while Kawasaki would develop the chassis and suspension. The bodywork, components, fit and feel would be pure Kawasaki, with the motor being their only real significant Suzuki contribution. Kawasaki would also build the bike, with both green and yellow versions rolling off the same assembly line at Kawasaki Heavy Industries. When designing the new engine, Suzuki relied both on their extensive road racing experience and an analysis of what had worked and not worked on Yamaha's original 250F. The basic motor configuration copied the short stroke design used on the YZF, but differed by using a 4-valve head instead of Yamaha's Genesis 5-valve head. Like the Yamaha, the new Kawasaki and Suzuki would use dual overhead cams to activate their Shimon bucket system in order to attain the stratospherically high revs and quick spool up necessary to make a competitive small bore four stroke Suzuki decided to stick with a lightweight slipper style piston for the top end where the new Suzuki and Kawasaki motor differed from the Yamaha was in the configuration of the bottom end when designing the original YZ400F reliability had been a major concern so Yamaha spec'd a dry sump oil system this allowed the bike to both carry more oil and cool it more effectively by circulating it throughout the frame. 
The downside of this dry sump system was it added weight and complexity. On Honda's new four-stroke, the CRF, they had taken a feather from BSA's cap and separated the oil and transmission fluid. This was done to prevent contamination from the clutch and transmission from making its way into the top end. While good at keeping things separate, the disadvantage of Honda's system was less cooling for the oil and diminished overall capacity. With the KXF and RMZ, Suzuki's engineers decided to go with a unique hybrid system. They coined the Suzuki Advanced Sump System, or SASS. This semi-dry sump system placed the crank and transmission in separate compartments, like a Honda, and featured two separate oil pumps, one for scavenging and one for pumping. In the SASS, the transmission acted like an oil tank, with both the top and bottom end separated by a reed valve, but sharing the same oil reserve. The advantage of this system was that it allowed Suzuki to place the crank very low in the motor to keep the rotating mass as low as possible, while not suffering the typical pumping losses due to a crank being bathed in oil. By using a scraper and scavenging pump, engineers were able to keep the crank free of excess oil and allow it to rev more freely. The new motor also saved weight and reduced complexity by doing away with external oil lines in favor of internal oil passages and hollowed out bolts that doubled as carriers of oil to the head. In order to reduce crankcase pressure, Suzuki also developed an interesting reed valve arrangement they coined the Suzuki Active Vent System, or SAVS. Pioneered on their GSXR road racers, the SAVS utilized a one-way valve to bleed off internal pressure as the piston descended into the cylinder. By reducing internal pressure on the downstroke, the motor was more responsive and revved quicker and more freely. Finishing off the motor were a close ratio 5-speed transmission, high-tech electronic ignition with 3D mapping and different curves based on the gear and throttle position, a 37mm Kahin FCR carburetor, and automatic decompression system. The exhaust system featured a lightweight titanium headpipe and an FIM legal enclosed in-cap muffler. Overall, it was a thoroughly modern four-stroke motor. In the chassis department, Kawasaki chose to stick with what they knew by dialing up a twin spar steel perimeter frame very similar to what they were using on their KX125 and KX252 strokes. Overall chassis dimensions were unique, and the new frame featured a special D-section spar on the top to narrow the layout at the seat tank juncture. The bottom of the frame was also slightly narrower, with foot pegs mounted 3mm higher than on the KX252 stroke to improve cornering clearance. On the suspension front, Kawasaki once again handled the development for the twin machines. Up front, the green team went with a set of 48mm Kiaba cartridge forks. These units featured 11.8 inches of travel, with 16 adjustments for compression and rebound. Internally, the fork featured a semi-sealed cartridge that was designed to bleed off pressure when compressed, and a bladder system that was designed to reduce bottoming under heavy loads. Outback, Kawasaki once again enlisted Kiaba to handle the shock duties, which was a change from Suzuki's use of Shawa on its two-stroke racers in 2004. The single KYB damper offered 12.2 inches of travel and 16 adjustments for compression and rebound. Unlike previous Kawasaki models, which anchored the linkage to the frame, the new KXF and RMZ moved the linkage anchor point to the swing arm. This was done to reduce front and rear movement of the shock as it moved through its travel and increased traction and stability under power. As to the rest of the bike, it was 100% Kawasaki. The brakes, bodywork, components, and switchgear were pure KX. This was not necessarily a bad thing, but if you had any two-stroke RMs in your stable, it was best not to count on swapping any parts in a pinch. Even the RM's triangle stand would not fit in the RMZ axle. The aesthetics of the two machines were nearly identical, with the only real differentiators being color and a slightly different radiator shrouding graphics. Both bikes were certainly good looking, but the RMZ did not really look all that much like the two-stroke RMs. 
As with any race machine, the true test of the twins' performance was on the track. There, they were actually fairly successful for a first outing. The new 249cc dual overhead cam motor put out a solid and fun to ride style of power that was effective but very unlike the high revving YZ250F. Most of the RM and KX's thrust was found in the low to mid portion of the power band and the bikes preferred to be short shifted rather than revved out. Unlike the Yamaha, which was most effective when ridden like a 125, the new Kawasaki twins were not nearly as effective if you tried to screen them to the stops. On the track, the twin strong low-end pull and healthy mid-range burst could be very effective. If ridden properly, it propelled the bike very quickly from turn to turn and made them a lot of fun to ride. There was more than enough thrust to clear jumps out of turns and a lot more grunt than what people had come to expect from the YZ250F. This made the twins very novice friendly, but it did limit their appeal to very fast guys in stock condition. For those accustomed to a 125 two-stroke or Yamaha YZ250F, the Suzuki and Kawasaki could be a bit frustrating to ride. Compared to Honda or Yamaha's 250F, the Kawasaki and Suzuki offered a narrower power band that revved slower and signed off sooner. Due to its lack of a counterbalancer, it also vibrated much more than the Yamaha, and tended to run very hot when pushed. Just letting it idle on the starting line for 30 seconds was enough to boil over the radiators, and fast guys quickly found the limits of its cooling system. Adding a higher pressure radiator cap helped somewhat, but there was no getting around the fact that Suzuki had underestimated the thermal loads this new machine was going to put on the radiators. Unfortunately, overheating was not the last of the new machine's mechanical woes. The cams, valve springs, valves, and buckets all proved to be very short-lived. After about 10 hours of hard use, the valve springs started to sack out, and the buckets developed small deformations that caused them to shatter. The cams themselves also proved to be too soft for sustained high RPM use and were prone to failure if you let the oil level drop just a bit. When this happened, the plain bearings on the cam could run dry, causing a seizure. This oil problem turned out to be a major issue on the twins as well, as both machines liked to eat oil at a sustained rate and carried very little in reserve. With just over a quarter of overall capacity, it was critical to watch the oil level like a hawk. Just maintaining this proper oil level turned out to be another major pain in the butt, as the sight glass used for the oil inspector proved both fragile and potentially inaccurate. Because of the unique semi-dry sump configuration, proper oil readings required a specific procedure, and if you didn't follow it, the window could lead you to believe the oil was low. With no dipstick and a huge fear of letting the oil drop too low, many people erred on the side of caution and ended up overfilling the motor with oil. Unfortunately, if this was done, the bike would start blowing seals. Just changing the oil was also a major nightmare due to Suzuki's inscrutable decision to incorporate the oil filter and water pump into one unit. This meant that if you wanted to change the oil, you also had to drain the coolant. Thankfully, aftermarket companies like Pro Circuit were quick to come up with improved water pumps that helped the overheating issue and added a separate cover to the oil filter. As if these problems with overheating and the fragile top end were not enough, there were also issues with the bottom end of the motor. Both the transmission and clutch proved to be delicate and failures were common. Third and fourth gear liked to grenade on hard-ridden units, and the KX125 source clutch was absolutely not up to the stresses put on it by the torqueier four-stroke motor. If ridden hard, the clutch began slipping almost immediately, further exacerbating the motor's overheating issues. Thankfully, there were aftermarket fixes for nearly all of these issues, but it was likely to cost you twice what you paid for the bike to address all of them. While the motor was a real mixed bag, the rest of the Kawasaki twins was a pretty solid package. As long as you did not buy the new RMZ, expecting it to actually handle like a Suzuki, you were likely to be happy with the twins' handling package. Like most Kawasaki's of the era, the new twins offered a conservative handling package that offered good but not great turning and decent stability. 
It was not nearly as precise in the turns as a traditional RM, but it was also less prone to high-speed wobbles. The ergonomics of the two were also liked by most, with a slim feel and compact dimensions. The low center of gravity was also noticeable on the track, and both machines felt slightly nimbler than Yamaha's top-heavy YZ250F. On the suspension front, both bikes were passable, but in need of some work. The forks offered decent bottoming resistance and acceptable action for those within the bike's target weight group, but faster or heavier riders found them too soft. Some riders also complained of harshness, but others did not seem to notice. For novice use, they were good, but fast guys were likely to want a revalve and spring swap to get the best performance out of the machine. Another complaint many riders voiced was with the ride height. In stock condition, the RMZ and KXF sat low in the front and high in the rear. Part of this problem was due to the new Unitrack linkage, which jacked up the rear end of the bike like a jet-powered funny car. With this low in the front and high in the rear stance, the bike felt very unbalanced, and leveling it out was critical to getting the most out of the machine's chassis. One cheap fix was to slide the forks down in the clamps, but the best solution was to buy an aftermarket link from someone like Pro Circuit or RG3 that leveled out the chassis. As to the shock itself, it offered mediocre action. When cold, it was overdamped and harsh. Once hot, the damping went away and blew through the stroke. At moderate speeds, it worked well enough, but once you started to push, it quickly became a handful. For novice or beginners, it was usable, but anyone above that speed was likely to want an aftermarket link and a revalve to get the best performance out of the machine. Even though the original KXF and RMZ were far from perfect, they still proved surprisingly popular machines. The market was hot for four strokes in 2004, and customers were keen to snatch them up in droves, regardless of the machine's shortcomings. In their favor, they were torquey, fun to ride bikes that could certainly win in the right hands, but their many mechanical maladies detracted from their overall appeal. For play riding and occasional racing, they were very solid choices, but for serious racers, there were certainly better choices available in 2004. So there you have it, that's a look back at the 2004 Kawasaki KX250F and Suzuki RMZ250, machines that, again, get a pretty bad rap. I mean, uh, I put them on my pick of 10 worst machines ever built in, uh, when I did an article for Pulp MX a few years ago, and for good reason. I mean, in terms of, it's mostly reliability. It wasn't the actual performance of the machine that was so bad. It, obviously, the suspension was a little mismatched, and it needed a little tweaking, but for a first generation all-new machine it wasn't that bad in terms of performance certainly it could win like, Ivan Tedesco proved that on the track he was great on this machine with a little tweaking it was a awesome machine for Supercross in particular and uh, outdoors as well but it definitely needed a little fixing that was an unfinished design at the factory there was all kinds of reliability issues um, you were going to spend a lot of money addressing all of them. I think if you were a trail rider or, you know, a casual racer, and as long as you kept oil in it and kept the coolant high, it was probably fine. But if you rode the thing very hard, they, they had a lot of failures. The drivetrain was really, really problematic, and uh, that kind of torpedoed the reputation of the machine. It, um, you know, within a few years, it was completely retired. This uh, alliance between Suzuki and Kawasaki ended poorly. It was only two years before Kawasaki had their own fully Kawasaki version of the 250F and Suzuki in 2007 introduced theirs. A machine I actually bought and I quite liked. I, li I love that 2007 RMZ. It wasn't real fast, but it handled great. Uh, awesome suspension. It just actually one of my favorite bikes in terms of the way it ran. But I had, even on that one, I had reliability problems with it and stuff. I ended up getting, uh, after it broke down on me about three or four times, I sold it. But uh, the bike, when it ran, it was great. It was super fun. Um, it's just one of those things where uh, this bike, you know, two different masters you know i think the fact that there's completely different companies coming together trying to make this one machine it didn't really uh 
end up having the best of both companies in it. Uh, Kawasaki, they probably would have been better off letting Kawasaki do the motor and Suzuki do the handling because really, that's really the flip there. Kawasaki had great engines and their handling stunk and Suzuki's handling was great. I think they got the mix wrong. If they'd done the other way, maybe the bike would have been better in the market. But in any case, I think it was mostly the reputation and the, the fact that people quickly got the word out on the reliability issues kind of torpedoed it. They sold a lot of them. I mean, like 250S were like selling like hotcakes. So I don't think that hurt them, particularly in 2004. But within a couple of years, you know, people had soured on the, the, the press, motocross action, what have you, were pretty hard on these machines. So uh, I think a lot of people quickly said, well, I don't want that. I want to get the Honda or something else. Even though... In fairness, the Honda 250F had its own reliability issues in, in 2004. They had cracked pistons, and you had to be real careful with the oil level on them and stuff, too. So, really, the Yamaha, you know, if these 250Fs had come out first, it might have torpedoed the whole 250F movement. I mean, the fact that these bikes were so temperamental, had huge issues with oil usage and what have you, um, and re reliability issues, people might have said, well, screw this, we're not going to do them. The fact that Yamaha came out first, and their 250Fs were bulletproof. The YZ400F, 250F, those things were just great. They were at least as reliable as a two-stroke, and it allayed a lot of those fears. Uh, if the Honda, with their cracking pistons and oil usage issues, and the Suzukis with the valve train uh, failures had come out first, it might have just kind of changed the whole landscape. But uh, by 2004, the writing was already on the wall, and I think the fact that this had a few teething problems certainly wasn't enough to detract people from switching to four-strokes. They quickly um, got a lot of the stuff sorted out, and you know the, the history is now they're all four-strokes pretty much. The 125 still exists, but only as a niche product for people basically to play on. So it is what it is there. Um, if you like this sort of thing, if you'd like to subscribe, share it on social media, tell your friends about the channel, I would very much appreciate it. I know this is a real niche kind of deal, motorcycling in general, motocross in particular. Uh, but if you can share it out and share it on social media, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, until we meet again, this is Tony Blazer with Motocross Vault. Keep the rubber side down. Peace.